the number of hospitalizations are virtually all unvaccinated. And sad to say, if you look at that number across the United States, and it's like 99 or 90, excuse me, 96% of all deaths right now in the hospitals are from the unvaccinated. That's Dr. Jim Russell, a local physician in the Rutland area who specializes in emergency sports medicine and has a longstanding history in our community. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Russell's been working closely with essential businesses to help them manage outbreaks and answer challenging questions about health, safety, and vaccinations that have come up throughout the ever-changing course of the pandemic. Dr. Russell has been incredibly instrumental in providing guidance to us here at Casella throughout the pandemic and remains a valuable resource today. I'm Shelley Sayward, and this is Beyond the Bin. Dr. Russell, can you talk a little bit about the safety of the new vaccine technology and how it affects your body once you've received the vaccination? We've been monitoring adverse effects of these vaccines from the get-go with a national database, international database. And so in terms of safety, the, the bottom line is these vaccines are extremely safe and we have billions of doses being administered throughout the world and in some ways, we right now today, we have more data on vaccine safety for the mRNA, the Johnson & Johnson, the AstraZeneca vaccines, some of the others that are coming out of China and Russia, than we do for all of influenza, simply because we got this digital database together and we started looking at it. So what is the mRNA vaccine That technology has been around really since the 70s when the companies researched this has a method for delivering medicines, drugs, particularly for cancer patients. It soon became pretty clear that we could use this as a vaccine technology. But what does this do? When we talk about nanoparticles, that was one of the terms I wish we'd never used because people hear nano and they think nanotechnology and I'm going to have a chip and I'm going to be wired to some godforsaken intelligence agency in my life as I know it, it's going to be ruined. Well, nano just means small. Nano is, for the engineers in the group, a unit of measurement. It's a billionth of a meter. By comparison, a piece of paper is 100,000 nanometers. So what you're getting in an mRNA vaccine is a very small piece of mRNA, which is a code in the genetic terms to make a protein that looks like the surface protein of the COVID virus that the body recognizes and starts to make antibodies against. That little mRNA segment, if you think about code being a string of letters, the amount of letters in that code is relatively like a post-it note compared to the novel War and Peace. So not only is the particle that we're injecting in there teeny tiny, but the code that we're delivering mRNA to the cell and asking it to make this protein that the body doesn't doesn't like and will mount an immune response is extremely small. And it doesn't circulate. It stays right in that muscle area where you get injected while you get, you know, yes, you do get a sore injection site potentially, which goes away in a few days. You may get a mild fever or aches and, and some discomfort, which simply means your immune system is gearing up and it's using its energy to basically attack that foreign element that your body was coded to make. But that stuff disappears. Uh, I mean, the fat that is 
encasing this little particle of mRNA. That gets broken down and recycled, if you will. The mRNA is very unstable. Within two weeks, that's completely gone from your system. And the surface protein that mRNA instructed your muscle cells to make that is now recognizable by your immune system, that completely breaks down within a couple of weeks, maybe up to a month, and is recycled. I mean, it's the body's zero sort system, if you will. I don't mean to feel Casella's technology here, but bottom line is none of this mRNA lasts. It, it does its job in the muscle cell. The muscle produces a protein. All of it gets recycled within a couple of weeks, and none of it is lasting. You couldn't, you couldn't do a blood test today on somebody who is vaccinated and see any remnants of this stuff. So in terms of lasting effects, in terms mm -hmm. of uh, potential lasting effects of the vaccine, we're not seeing it. I mean, seriously, if you're going to have a side effect, it's going to be within a few days, which is the common muscle aches, mild fever, and general malaise that you might get from the flu shot. After that, there is no dramatic evidence that there's any lasting effects from any of this. Dr. Russell, what's your advice for healthy individuals who still have not gotten vaccinated? Don't get older. Stay young. It's a nice ideal to maintain. You know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm not on any medications. I'm somehow immune to danger. I can tell you as an emergency medicine and a sports medicine doc, that's the population I see most likely in my emergency department or in the clinic at Killington. And it's not because they're not healthy and they get sick. It's because of one factor and one factor only. It's called risk-taking behavior. So the group that we're talking about, and the vaccine obviously comes with somewhat of that mystique that we're talking about. Can I trust it? Is it safe? Why do I need it? I'm, I'm young and healthy. The compelling reason that young people should consider getting the vaccine is keeping you out of the hospital. I mean, there was a curve in the middle of August where the vaccination rate was going up, the hospitalization was going down, but the only folks in the hospital were either really old or in that 30 to 40 year old range. And we're all going, what the heck is going on? And then when you break it down, those 30 and 40 year olds were not vaccinated and they were life is normal, risk-taking, let me go to large public events where I don't know people and, and not wear a mask. So that kind of scratches the surface of that. I, I mean, I'm weighing in with a bias. Obviously, all populations need the vaccine. But the other reason is public health. It's not about you all the time. <laughs> it's about the rest of us. So if you have family members at home who are older or have medical problems or are immune compromised, I take it as a personal responsibility that we all should get vaccinated and eliminate the risk-taking behavior. It really is. So going forward, you know, the two factors that we can control about infectious diseases of all kinds, not just this one, but the next one and the influenza one, and is just that. It's getting vaccinated and modifying your behavior so that everybody is safe. Dr. Russell, one really controversial topic here at Casella, and I think nationwide, has been wearing masks. It's upsetting to people who've been vaccinated in particular to be told that they still have to wear them. Can you share your thoughts with us on this topic? Are masks 
efficacious and do they work? Do they protect people from getting COVID? Two-part answer to that. The short one is yes. They reduce the onward transmission of COVID in close contact situations by at least 30%, probably more. The simple wearing of masks, it's kind of a difficult thing to study. You can you can run some control studies that are really tedious and take a long time, or you can just do some surveys, look at certain companies and, and see which ones have and haven't been mandating mask wares or re-engineered their workspaces so that they have ventilation and and some distancing or some flow patterns throughout their their break rooms where people aren't aggregating quite as much. But the bottom line is masks in and of themselves help decrease the spread of, of COVID and back to risk-taking behavior. People who wear a mask are more likely to be culturally safety conscious. So I, I don't mean to, to stereotype our 30 and 40-year-olds, but there is a population who believes I can do anything and not have to worry about the safety of others. So it's not just the physical mask wear, it's the behavior that goes with it. Can you talk a little bit about vaccine safety when it pertains to women who are pregnant or planning to start a family? We have a lot of young women here at Casella who I think would be interested in your thoughts on this topic. That's a hot topic and one that you can easily understand the concern. This is a really somewhat special time. If you're thinking about getting pregnant, you are pregnant, you're breastfeeding, it's more than just, you know, concern about yourself. You're really, you're really thinking about your baby and, and the consequences there. Bottom line is, haven't seen any adverse effects with the vaccine in folks who are trying to get pregnant during pregnancy or in that postnatal period of, of breastfeeding. And that's been very, very closely monitored. And for all the reasons that I mentioned about the mRNA, it, it just it doesn't circulate. So your fetus isn't really seeing the effects of this. It's a local impact to that muscle area that it's developed. And so we're not seeing anything that, that even remotely is concerning in terms of fetal development, abnormalities that you sometimes worry about in terms of fetal, fetal development. It's not affecting the physiology of the pregnancy meaning the vaccine isn't altering things that we all worry about. You know, for pregnant ladies is blood pressure, monitoring blood clotting disorders, which can be an issue during pregnancy, diabetes, weight gain. The COVID vaccine doesn't seem to have any impact on any of this. And we just, it doesn't make sense to me either, knowing the dynamics of the vaccine itself and pregnancy. But we take a, we take a very careful look at this and pregnancy, and it's probably one of, been one of the most studied groups that we have. And to that point, I blame the CDC a little bit for poor education. Because we've been so cautious about pregnancy, we've been a little slow in releasing information to that population. We want to be really sure that when we say something, I'm using my doctor hat like we're all in the same boat now, you want to make sure that, that what you're saying is true. But we've kind of left that population hanging for a little bit. And so I can understand the, the nervousness. Bottom line is you and your baby are much more likely to be adversely affected by getting COVID, like 100 times more likely to be affected by getting COVID 
than you are from the vaccine. To put a little finer point on that, if you get a COVID infection during pregnancy, you are much more likely to end up in the hospital. Pregnancy is a stress in and of itself. I don't have to tell anybody who's had a pregnancy or been through delivery. It's 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 work, and it cha- it challenges your body, and your body is at high alert already under this stress of pregnancy. And COVID is a challenge that it doesn't need. And then we're also seeing you know preterm deliveries, which is one of the things that is a real effect. So bottom line is, if you're thinking of getting pregnant, you are pregnant, or you're nursing, it's still okay to get the vaccine. It's really not going to change the course of anything, other than it might keep you out of the hospital. Anecdotally, a close friend of mine's daughter just had COVID infection. She was seven and a half months pregnant. She wasn't vaccinated. Delivered. She got mild symptoms. Baby was fine. Baby was completely asymptomatic. And everybody skated through it. And she's now feeling okay. But she admitted to me afterwards, she said, that was pretty scary. In retrospect, I wish I had the vaccine and not had to go through all of them. What role do booster shots play in the future of the pandemic? And how do you think their distribution is going to play out over the next couple of months? Well, uh, we just released the FDA just released approval today for Moderna and J&J vaccines. Moderna is showing a little bit higher effectiveness than the Pfizer. So they're recommending a half dose, a modest boost, but they're recommending it you know, for everybody who currently has the Moderna vaccine. So it's not specifically age-related. Obviously, the groups that you're talking about are higher risk. Those in long-term care settings are a very fragile population, captive audience, if you will, uh, over the age of 65, you know, all of the risk factors that we know about diabetes, any of the manageable medical illnesses that, that we're dealing with. So the interesting perspective was the folks that have the J&J vaccine might benefit from getting a mixed vaccine. The J&J vaccine is prepared very similarly to the influenza vaccine, but it's only 76% effective at its peak. We haven't really studied the J&J vaccine as closely to see if it tails off in its efficacy, if you will. But FDA said you get the J&J vaccine. If your doctor thinks it's a good idea, you can get the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine on top of that. So what we're hearing is, and Israel's already boosted almost 100% of its population, and it's really dramatic at that boosted population. The numbers of decreased infections, more dramatic is the number of of hospitalizations and, and deaths. So we're seeing early good results from boosting everybody if you will. And if there's very little downside to it, why not? We're not seeing any adverse side effects. Any, you know, you get the same potential sore arm a couple of days of malaise, but no, no amplification of the early side effects. So if there's not a big downside to the booster and, and countries like Israel are seeing a dramatic effect, the thinking is why not boost everybody if we have available resources. Going forward, it's probably going to be just like any other medical discovery. We're probably going to use it a bit more selectively, blanket everybody. And I think I alluded to it before. I think the booster probably will be 
will be something we'll use for a specific at-risk population, but maybe not every year for everybody. Right now, since we have a surge and an uptick, we really, disappointing as it is, want to get this thing back under control. And I think the booster, from everything I've seen in terms of, of numbers, is the best way to do that. So if we can get booster out there, maybe my, my April prognostication isn't so weird. We'll see. Dr. Russell, you've been a wonderful resource in providing guidance to Casella over the last year and a half, and we're just so thankful to you for your service. We appreciate you joining us today for an episode of Beyond the Bin. You're very welcome. It's been a privilege. Thank you. For more information on vaccine safety and what you can do to protect your coworkers, family, and friends, please visit casella.com backslash got the shot.